Good evening and welcome to the Spirit and Life Bible Study. My name is Jonathan. Our reader is Cara tonight. We're welcoming her back despite her trip to Florida. And our title is, What is Our Sacrifice? The setup for this is that in ancient times, in the Old Testament, people were told to sacrifice and to sacrifice their best animals. Uh, now, we don't have to do that anymore. It's not required of us to offer animals. But what is the modern-day equivalent? What does it mean to, uh, you know, what form of sacrifice are we supposed to make? What does this correspond to? So that's what we'll be looking at tonight, and I'd like to ask you to join me in an opening prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we thank you for gathering us in your holy name. You are the one God of heaven and earth who bowed the heavens and came down. We're opening the pages of your word, Lord, seeking to know your mind and your heart. Amen. Amen. Sending love to all of those who are out there online and getting the audio and on the phone and those of you who have blessed us with your presence here in the room. I want to make a couple of announcements. Um, one is that I'll be giving a talk at 3 o'clock this Sunday afternoon, February 12th, in Pendleton Hall Auditorium. You can stream it at live.brynathen.edu. Brynathen is B-R-Y-N-A-T-H-Y-N. So it'll be a stream talk. It'll be available there, archived as well. It's titled, Indexing His Way into Further Enlightenment, Discovering Swedenborg's Process Through Translation. And so I'm going to be talking about all those passages where Swedenborg has a, a sentence and then a whole string of numbers and what's going on with all that material. Publishers have often cut that out, thinking it is boring or sort of second-class material, but I'm going to try to rescue its reputation. I also thought I would mention that um, because of the old style and new style of the calendar, today, February 8th, is actually Swedenborg's 329th birthday. We're used to celebrating it on January 29th, but January 29th, when he was born, was what is now called February the 8th. So, happy birthday to Swedenborg. I've already marked my calendar for June 8th of 2021, when he will be 333 and a third, which <laughs> just excited me for some reason. But anyway, the, um, <clears throat> so what is our sacrifice? The Old Testament, you know, Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy have all this talk about here's how you're supposed to sacrifice this animal, you know, a, a ram or an ox or this is what you're supposed to do in this situation, this is what you're supposed to do in that situation. We've been talking about that last week with the altar of burnt offering. Uh, but what, what is that? What, and what are we supposed to do? Does Scripture even literally tell us what these sacrifices mean? I want to start with a story that I love very much. If you can go to 1 Samuel, so it's to the right of the five books of Moses, and after Joshua and Judges, 1 Samuel chapter 15, and I want to break my usual tradition and read something at some length here. It's such a fun story, and it's all about sacrifice. It's an interesting story about sacrifice and about obeying the Lord. So let's jump into this. Beginning? Right at the beginning there. Okay. Samuel also said to Saul... Okay, Samuel's a prophet. Saul was the king. He was the first king of Israel, and he'd been 
He'd been made the king. Uh, he was very shy at first, and he was actually hiding when they wanted to crown him and everything. Uh, but he, but he's been sort of changing and sort of deteriorating spiritually a little bit over the course of the story. And Samuel's the man of God. <laughs> Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people, over Israel. Now therefore, heed the voice of the words of the Lord. Okay, so what are this command to Saul? Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he ambushed him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now there was originally someone in the Bible called Amalek, but over time this turned into a tribe of the Amalekites. That's who it's referring to. <clears throat> and the Amalekites were desert raiders, and they would pick off the weak ones, the stragglers at the back of the you know, tribe, and, and they were constantly harassing the children of Israel when they were in the wilderness. And so the Lord is saying that he has not forgotten that the Amalekites did this when they were journeying on their way through the wilderness for 40 years coming up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them. So would you say that you're saying utterly destroy them? That's what it says. Is that what you mean? Like not just partially? Right. Uh, utterly? Okay, go on. But kill both man and woman, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. Oh, this is very thorough. So, so don't just, you know, kill the soldiers or something like that. You're supposed to wipe them out off the face of the earth and not only the people, but also all their livestock, right? Mm -hmm. mm. People of all ages and all the livestock. It sounds cruel, but it has an important spiritual meaning about getting rid of evil. Okay, so what does Saul do? So Saul gathered the people together and numbered them in Telaim, 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 men of Judah. It's a very sizable army for those days. Yes, it's a massive uh, army. And Saul came to a city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then yes, and then he made a deal. See, there had been these people called the Kenites who had come to Saul and made a deal with him. They, they fooled him to get this deal to work, but he promised them that they would be protected. So Saul sends a message to the Kenites to say, look out. You know, the, the people you're with are about to get hit. Should I? Yes. Okay. Then Saul said to the Kenites, Go, depart, get down from among the Amal Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the children of Israel mm. when they came up out of Egypt. Mm. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. It doesn't say how he got this message, this secret message to them, but somehow he was able to communicate with them without the Amalekites finding out that they were in trouble. And what did Saul do? And Saul attacked the Amalekites from Havilah all the way to Shur, which is east of Egypt. Okay, so he's doing the Lord's will. He's striking the Amalekites. Uh, that's right. And? He also took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive. Now wait. Back in verse 3, did he say, keep the king alive? No, he said, utterly. he said utterly destroy. Well, you know, the king is not that important. Okay. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. Okay, so just the king, you know, 
Well, that's understandable. So he spares the king, but destroys all the other people, and... But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the oh. oxen, the fatlings, the lambs, and all that was good. Oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Back in verse 3, we were supposed to get rid of all those. Oxen, sheep, camels, right? Okay. But they saved the best ones. They didn't kill. So if it was a lousy animal, they'd kill it. But a good one, they would spare it. Okay. They were unwilling to utterly destroy them. But everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Okay, so what sort of marks would you give Saul? It's not a perfect score. Spared the king and all the best of the flocks, but got rid of the junk and all those lousy people. Right. Okay. So, now the Lord, I notice, doesn't communicate with Saul. He communicates with Samuel, the prophet, the man of God. Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, <laughs> for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. Oh, you see, even though he did it partially, that wasn't what he was commanded. The command was, wipe them out completely. And uh, so how did Samuel react? And it grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Yes, so Saul did not perform the commandment of the Lord. Very important piece of the uh, story here. Okay, go on. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself. Oh, he set up a monument for himself after his great victory. He'll establish a great giant monument to the, the tremendous achievement that he has achieved. <laughs> and he has gone on around, passed by, and gone down to Gilgal. Mm. Then Samuel went to Saul. Okay, now here they encounter each other. Here comes the man of God. The Lord's been talking to him about what's going on. And here comes Saul, who has just set up a great monument to his tremendous victory over the Amalekites. And how does this conversation go? And Saul said to Samuel, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Yeah, now see, a humbler person might not have said that, like not led with that card. <laughs> I have performed the commandment of the Lord. But Samuel said, what then is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Because <laughs> Samuel knows that he was instructed to kill all the livestock. And so I love that technique. It's a good sort of counseling technique that, that instead of just saying you didn't, you just say, hmm, well, I'm hearing sheep and oxen, you know. <laughs> and then so Saul explains himself. Saul said... They have brought them they, from the Amalekites. They, not I, they. Okay. They have brought them from the Amalekites. For the people spared. Oh, the people, yeah. The people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen. And why did they do it? What's that? Why did they do it? Why did they do it? To sacrifice to the Lord your God. Ah, you see, they spared. They had a better idea. God said, wipe them all out. But wow, you lost all that sacrificial, you know, opportunity there. Save the best ones, because you're only supposed to sacrifice the good ones. So save all those good ones to sacrifice 
So this will make the Lord happy. He, he performed the commandment. Of the, and not only that, he's obeying the whole Old Testament commandments. So like you're supposed to sacrifice good animals and stuff. So this will make the Lord happy. And, and by the way, Saul didn't have anything to do with this. Somehow his people just ran amok and spared all these sheep and oxen without him having anything to do with them. And you'll notice, what does he say? Forgot the mic. Sorry, friends. Oh. The mic is now going on. All right, good. Um, and he said, oh, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. Now, you notice the people Saul. did the sparing, but we did the destroying. Like Saul, <laughs> so he's taking no, no credit, uh, you know, no blame or whatever. Okay, go on. Then Samuel said to Saul, be quiet, and I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And so Saul should be trembling at this point. We don't know whether he is or not. And he said to him, speak on. So Samuel said, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Mm. Now the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? And you notice Samuel doesn't say, why then did your people not obey? You know, he's not letting Saul get away with it. Why did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil <laughs> and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And here Saul was thinking, well, the, the Lord will love this because we get to sacrifice these animals. It'd be great. And Saul said to Samuel, but I have obeyed the voice of the Lord <laughs> and gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me and brought back Agag, king of, Am of Amalek. I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. <laughs> so he's still maintaining his innocence. It's very brave. He's a very brave gentleman. And um, <laughs> but the I have, you know, he, he protests, I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I, I did what the Lord said, and I brought King Agag back here. And, you know, that's just sort of rolled into his good story about all the great things he did. But, but the people... Oh, I see. The, oh, those people are so bad. You can never deal with them. ...took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of the things which should have been utterly destroyed. Ah, you get the first admission that, yes, yes, I will grant you. They should have been destroyed. You know, he, he's still not taking any responsibility. But they saved them, and why did they save them? To sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel says this amazing verse, which is really what we're talking about tonight. So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Mm. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Go on. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Mm. And look at what Saul says in the next verse. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed. Now finally, but he does by the end of the verse. Go on. I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your word. This almost sounds like a confession. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. <laughs> okay, it was still their fault. But he did sin in following, the, you know, he just can't quite take responsibility for himself. But at least he's saying, I sinned, and so on. Uh, 
just a wonderful, amazing story. And uh, isn't that powerful? Look at where we are in your Bible. We're way back on the left-hand end of it, right? We're just shortly after the five books of Moses. And already Scripture is telling us it's not about the sacrifices, right? We just said books and books, got to do the sacrifices, got to do all the sacrifices. And then already we have a story that says it's not about the sacrifice. Is that what the Lord, does the Lord, is the Lord pleased with the sacrifice? What He wants is our obedience. Okay, so let's write this down. Let's write this down. Let me see. Get, get something, get a nice purple color here. So I'll just write obey and hearken. At least that's the language in the old King James. That, that's what, r rather than literal, like here's an animal and, you know, you should offer that up. This, already we're being told in the Old Testament that obeying is more important than that. To obey is better than sacrifice. So if the Lord gives you two choices and one of them you could sort of go rogue on your own uh, but produce a fantastic sacrifice or you could do what the Lord said even if it didn't make sense to you or something. Better go with what the Lord said. That, that's actually more of a sacrifice. Saul did not sacrifice. And what I think is going on in this story, just to pause and deal with that for a second, is don't you think that Saul is our ego. He's something about our sense of self. It's just wonderful. And he was picked, he was put in charge of our whole self, you know, but now it's sort of gone to his head and he's decided, well, the Lord said this, but I can, you know, I know what he's really looking for and so I'll do this. And, and he spares Agag, like the worst thing you could do is to keep the king of the Amalekites. You know, he'll just get more Amalekites or something. Like you've always got to get rid of it. him. What uh, happens, which is a terrible scene, but down in verse 32, there Samuel says, uh, bring me Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Agag comes and he says this wonderful line, surely the bitterness of death is past, but it isn't, and Samuel hews him in pieces. So Samuel deals with the thing that Saul is not willing to deal with. And so it's about Saul being the ego and Samuel represents something of the Lord and something of the Word that's saying to us, uh, no, you've got to get straight what the Lord is looking for. You took the, all the five books of Moses a little too literally. I wasn't talking about animal sacrifice. I was talking about whether you're obeying or not. That's good fun. Let's turn to the middle of your Bible and go to the Psalms. These will be quicker little passages, but I uh, want to read some passages that make clear about uh, sacrifice. Let's read the first eight verses of Psalm 40. Mm. I waited patiently for the Lord, and He inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He has put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God. Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Yes, and let's skip down to verse 6 in the interest of time there. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened. 
burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. Okay, so I think we have to add that to our list. Delight. These are really two ways of saying the same thing, aren't they? To do the Lord's will. Delight to do the Lord's will. And His law in our hearts. Do you agree with my reading of that? That um, having verse 6 right there and says, You did not want sacrifice and offering. Burnt offering and sin offering, you did not require, you know, the Lord did not require those things. What he wants is that we delight to do his will and that his law is in our hearts. Okay, Psalm 51. We read this last time too. And again, this is, this is just really amazing passage because you look at that top, we read it last time. What does it say right before verse 1 there? To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So he's been caught for committing adultery, killing someone, lying about it. Uh, and uh, look at the end of this psalm. Let's start at verse uh, 14. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, the God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. Mm, listen to this. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Isn't this, this is the Old Testament. The Old Testament is saying again and again, the Lord does not delight in burnt offerings. Uh, you know, David was in the optimal, you know, if that was the time to do a sin offering or a guilt offering or something, you know, what a perfect time. He's done all these bad things, but he realizes you did not desire sacrifice or I would have given it to you. You did not delight in burnt offering. And then what does it say? Oops, I lost my place. Verse 17. Oh, yeah. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. Mm. A broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Broken, contrite heart and spirit. Is that a fair summary? All right. Now that is the most direct statement we've had so far. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. And go on. Do good in your good pleasure to Zion. Build the walls of Jerusalem. Mm. Then you shall be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with mm. burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then they shall offer bulls on your altar. Righteousness. And that would be not righteousness that comes from ourselves, but true righteousness that comes from the Lord. Mm. Then you, isn't that amazing? It's amazing to me that it's just literally stated in the Old Testament that it's not about the sacrifices and the burnt offerings. It's about righteousness 
and that broken spirit and the contrite heart. When David, there was something very important that happened when David realized, I have sinned. Not, not, this was not a Saul reaction. This was, oh, those other people and so-and-so and it was her fault or something. No, that's not. David was really, uh, this one hit home. A broken spirit and a broken contrite heart. Uh, that has something to do with the sacrifice that the Lord desires. Isn't that great? Okay, let's go to Psalm 69. Here's a nice one. Verses 30 and 31. I will praise the name of God with a song. With a song. And will magnify him with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. With a song and thanksgiving. Go on. This also shall please the Lord better than an ox or bull, which has horns and hooves. Interesting. Okay, so a song. Isn't this great? That's great. Song and thanksgiving is better than something that has horns and hooves. This is the kind of sacrifice by giving a song and thanksgiving to the Lord that shall please the Lord. Isn't the whole idea of sacrifice is to be pleasing to the Lord? You know, the idea was that there would be a pleasing, a sweet aroma that went up to the Lord. This is, this is what we're trying to do. Give an offering that will please the Lord and make Him happy with us kind of thing. Let's turn to the right and go out of the Psalms into Proverbs. I just want to look at... One verse in the Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 21, verse 3. Hmm. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Look at there. We got righteousness again, and I think I'll just put a slash in and do justice. Righteousness and justice. Say it again. Righteousness and to justice. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. More acceptable to the Lord in sacrifice. This is the Old Testament, everybody. This is the clear, plain teaching of the Old Testament. That the Lord is interested in these things rather than burnt offerings and sacrifices. It's, it's very interesting to me. Okay, uh, now we'll go to a major one. Turn to the right and we'll go to Isaiah chapter 1. Mm. Okay, let's start at verse 10 there. Mm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And listen to this. This is, this is quite a diatribe, isn't it? This is how Isaiah launches in. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Mm. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. Ouch. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. This is the Old Testament. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Well, I thought it was like the five books of Moses, but okay. Who, who required, you know, who asked you to do this? It wasn't me. What are you doing? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. Mm. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. 
Mm, look at that. Yeah. So it's a little problem when you're pairing your sacred meeting with your iniquity. <laughs> that, <laughs> that's, that's not good. Go on. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. Mm. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Whoa, that's a potent image. And so if we have iniquity, if our hands are full of blood, the Lord's not going to listen in the same way. So what should we do instead, Lord? Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They, though they are red like crimson, they shall be as, as wool. If yes. you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if, but. You, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Yes, so cease to do evil, learn to do good. In that context, do you think it's fair to add that to our list this evening? Because in the context, he said, I don't want your sacrifices. I'm not interested. I can't stand the incense, the new moons and all that stuff. This is what I want, that you stop doing evil and you learn to do good. Isn't that what the message is of what we just read there? Okay, let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. So Jeremiah is the very next one. And let's go to chapter 6. Hmm. <laughs> okay, yeah, let's, let's just pick it up. This, this is just great stuff, but in the interest of time. Oh, uh, look at verse 16. He's giving people advice. They're, they're committing evil. He gives them this advice in 16. Thus says the Lord, Stand in the ways and see, and ask for the old paths where the good way is, and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, We will not walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Therefore hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth. Behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people. The fruit of their thoughts... Which is a phrase I love. The fruit of their thought. Isn't that amazing? The fruit of their thoughts. Because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. And listen to this. Here's the key phrase. For here. what purpose to me comes frankincense from Sheba and sweet cane from a far country? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifices sweet to me. There's been a few of these tonight. He keeps, keeps, keeps. He said it back there in 1 Samuel, said it in the Psalms, said it in Isaiah, saying it in Jeremiah. He keeps saying, I'm, I'm not, your incense isn't doing it. You know, what I want is I want you to walk in the good way. That good old way, isn't it what that's mm -hmm. within the song, right? Good old way. Um, okay. Let's turn to the right and go through Ezekiel and Daniel and get to Hosea. 
There's Daniel. There's Hosea. Go to Hosea chapter 6. Still in the Old Testament. Oh, this is a powerful one. This is important. Okay, starting at verse 4. O Ephraim, what shall I do to you? Ephraim was a term for the northern kingdom. Okay. O Judah, what shall I do to you? Judah was the south. For your faithfulness is like a morning cloud, and like the early dew it goes away. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. And your judgments are like light that goes forth. Now listen to this. Very important statement. For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Okay, so there's another thing for our list. Mercy slash knowledge of God. Wasn't that abundantly clear? Didn't it say... I desired mercy and not sacrifice and the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Let's read another couple of verses. But like men, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt treacherously with me. Gilead is a city of evildoers and defiled with blood. There it is again, defiled with blood. Mm -hmm. As As bands of robbers lie in wait for a man, so the company of priests... Murder on the way to Shechem. Surely they commit lewdness. Yeah. Murder, lewdness, iniquity, blood. Keep going. The Lord is not interested in a sacrifice. No, we can, okay. we can stop there, although it's equally chilling. But uh, mercy. <laughs> I desire mercy and not sacrifice in the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. The Old Testament, ladies and gentlemen. The teaching seems pretty clear. It's saying, here's what the Lord wants. One more in the Old Testament. So Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah. Right after Jonah, if you can get to Micah chapter 6. Very well known. But remember that one. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Okay. Micah 6 verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? This is the question. Ten thousand rivers of oil. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression? The fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Yeah, so this is an important burnt offering question. Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, all those rivers of oil, our firstborn and everything? And what do we read in verse 8? He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justly, to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? There's mercy again. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly. All right. Humbly with your God. Mm, Will the Lord be pleased with all those things? What does the Lord desire? That's what he wants. 
Now, gosh, it's too obscure. I don't know what you mean, Lord. Wow, he just broke it down, didn't he? <laughs> didn't the Lord just got to lay it out there? Okay, let's look in the New Testament. Go to Matthew chapter 9. So they'll come up to your right there. Let's go to Matthew chapter 9. Now, in this passage, the second to last scripture we read was from Hosea. And it said, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Right? And knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Jesus quotes this in the New Testament. Look at verses 10 to 13 in Matthew chapter 9. Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Mm. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Yes, what is he doing? He's, he's, he's eating with the worst people and says, you weren't supposed to eat with those people. What is he doing? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, mm. but those who are sick. Yes, so the Lord is likening himself to a doctor. A doctor doesn't go see well people. He goes to see the people who are sick. And then what does he say to them? But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. What, isn't that interesting that he would quote that right then? Isn't it? It's as if the Pharisees in the New Testament are still sort of thinking, oh, it's about the, the rules and all that stuff. You're supposed to put the blood on the thumb and you're supposed to do the thing and the thing and don't eat with that person. But the Lord says, go learn what this means, which is just for him to tell, you know, they're the experts in the law. He's a nobody. And he's telling them, go learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. That is powerful. Because he's talking about be merciful. Go, go eat with... I'm not telling you to avoid people. You know, you're supposed to see the deeper meaning in it. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And then he explains with one more sentence and it brings in my favorite word in all of Scripture. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. You could feel it coming, couldn't you, friends? <laughs> Repentance, which is pretty much like that Isaiah ceased to do evil, right? Learn to do good and a lot of other things that are up there. Repentance, very interesting. Okay, have a look at Matthew chapter 12. There's one more story. Uh, We'll just skim through this, but you're probably familiar with this story that Jesus on the Sabbath day goes through all this, this field and his disciples are hungry and they begin to pluck and to eat. And the Pharisees are horrified. And he gives this example of how David ate the showbread and uh, also talked about the day the priests profaned the Sabbath and are blameless. And he says, in this place, in verse 6, there's one who is greater than the temple. And then in verse 7, what does he say? But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Wow. The disciples are guiltless. You're condemning the wrong people. I desire mercy and not 
sacrifice. It's interesting that he would liken what they were doing to sacrifice, isn't it? It's interesting that the way the Pharisees were holding it was still that the same thing that Saul did wrong, right? Save the flocks and try to do the sacrifice. No, I don't want that. I, I want you to be merciful to these people and, and rescue them. When you really look at the deep meaning of the Saul story, it sounds unmerciful to say kill all those people. But when you realize those are evils that have a hold of somebody, didn't it call them the Amalekites, the sinners, those sinners, the Amalekites? It said it right in there that that's a merciful act of freeing us from that evil. And the Lord does not want us to be partly freed, but leave the kernel of it, <laughs> the nucleus still in place or something, you know, or all the feelings and thoughts that go with it that are represented by those animals and all the flocks. Uh, no, you're supposed to get rid of all that because it's in the Lord's way. It's actually merciful. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Okay. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Okay, let's turn to Mark. We've just got a couple more scriptures here. Mark chapter 12, a few more. This is just so fun, if you like that sort of thing. Mark chapter 12. Okay. In verse 20, at the end of verse 28, someone asks him this loaded question, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So here the Lord clearly teaches loving the Lord and loving the neighbor. And listen to what the scribe answers. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but He. And listen to this. And to love Him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole, burnt, the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Yes, and Jesus says you're not far from the kingdom of God. <laughs> yes, now there's a New Testament statement from a scribe who gets it, who's saying to love the Lord and love the neighbor is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. This is the teaching of the Old Testament. It's the teaching of the New Testament. This is what... Now, do you feel that you have any information here about what our sacrifice is supposed to be? In case not, let's keep pressing. Uh, let's go to, through Luke to John. Let's go to John 15. This just came to mind shortly before Bible study, and I wanted to throw it in here. Uh, we were just talking about love of the neighbor. Look at 15, verse 12. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Yes. Now, why am I reading that in the context of sacrifice? Well, that's a major sacrifice, right? To lay down your life for your friends. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down your life for your friends. 
So there's something about that laying down of that life that's encapsulated in what we've written on the board here, which we'll go over in a little bit. And now just a few passages from the epistles. Okay, let's go through Acts, go to the right and go to Romans. Go to chapter 12, verse 1. This is a wonderful statement. It's Paul writing to the Romans. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Okay, I'll write the word service. Isn't that the gist of it? That you use your body to perform service to people. You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. It's clear, pretty clear teaching, right? holy and acceptable to God, your reasonable service. That's, that's what the sacrifice means. Okay, let's turn to the right and you go through Corinthians and Galatians and Ephesians. We want to get to Philippians. Philippians chapter 4. What's that? It's before Thessalonians. These things are so tiny, they're hard to find the right ones. Um, this was about people putting together a gift. And uh, look at verse 17. Let's start there in chapter 4, Philippians 4. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that oh, you... Oh, where sh- are you? I'm in Ephesians Oh, okay, chapter good. Four. It's good. It's good stuff. Okay, Philippians 4. Keep going to... There you go. Philippians 4. Which verse? That is very rare. It was that Florida sunshine that <laughs> addled her a little bit. Uh, Philippians chapter 4, start of verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but you I see seek... they were putting together a gift for Paul. But I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaph. Aphroditus, the the things sent from you, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Yes. So isn't that interesting? I would add here, I'm writing up in the margins, but generosity, right? People were generous to Paul, and isn't that amazing? And he was a Pharisee, and what does he liken it to? It says there's an odor sacrifice the sweet smell well-pleasing to God. Generosity, loving the neighbor, service, generosity. Hmm, interesting. I wish Scripture were clear and would just tell us what we're supposed to do. Okay, let's go to the right through Colossians and get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The only connection here is just that in the first verse it talks about what pleases God but I thought this was a great little passage that I love. Start at verse 1, 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Yes, so this is how you live your life, how you walk in such a way as to please God. So all those sacrifices, those offerings were to please the Lord. So how do you walk in order to please the Lord? Okay. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus, Mm -hmm. for this is the will of God. Oh, we're going to hear about the will of God. Your sanctification, dot, dot, 
that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, Uh that no one should take advantage of you, sorry, no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. Mm. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Yes, and the old King James, unto holiness, has called us not to uncleanness, but to holiness. Uh, God has called us to that. And so I would just file this under repentance. We already have repentance down there at the bottom, right? Mm -hmm. It's about abstaining from sexual immorality, cleaning up your act kind of thing, right? Because God has not called us to uncleanness, but to holiness. And this is how to walk and to please God. So you see how it fits in with our topic this evening. All right, so let's have a look at our list here. Those of you who are getting the audio, I'll just read them over for you here. This is what the Old Testament and the New Testament teach we are to do that is better than sacrifice. This is the real sacrifice, if you will. It's not sacrificing your animal. It's doing this, obeying and hearkening, delighting to do the Lord's will, having his law in our hearts, having a broken spirit and a contrite heart, doing righteousness and justice, offering song and thanksgiving, cease to do evil, learn to do good, walk in the good way, have mercy and the knowledge of God, do justly, love mercy, walk humbly, do repentance, love the Lord, love your neighbor, practice service and generosity. Yeah, it's, that's good teaching. That's the sacrifice. Now, it's interesting that uh, people might have the view, and some people do have the view, that, that the Old Testament was hard. They call it that hard old law, and that you'd have the, the Old Testament with all these difficult things you have to do and all the commands and all that kind of stuff. And you're supposed to take your best animal, which is very valuable, and offer that up to the Lord. When you look at that list, I realize that what the Lord is asking of us is in a way something harder than giving up your best animal. It's giving up our old life that we loved. When it says cease to do evil, you could almost sort these into a sequence, couldn't you? Because some of them are about not doing evil. Stop doing those bad things. There were a lot of passages in there about not doing wickedness and all that sort of thing. Repent, cease to do evil. And then, and also the broken and the contrite heart, you know, that's sort of where it begins, I think, when you realize, what have I done? You know, what what David must have felt when he was challenged by the prophet and realized, oh, oh, can't stand it. You know, he he just couldn't stand it. He said to the Lord, you know, his sin was ever before him. We talked about that in remembering and forgetting. So it starts with a broken and contrite heart, then goes through this repentance and ceasing to do evil, and then all these wonderful things, obeying the Lord, hearkening, doing His will, and even getting to the point where you love the Lord, you love your neighbor, you're doing service, and you got a song in your heart, and you're actually grateful, right? (laughs) It's good. Now, that's a hard path, 
says, lay down your life. Lay down your life. It's not laying down your animal's life. It's your life, right? The Lord wants us to lay down our lives, but he's not talking uh, about a simple act of physical martyrdom or something like that. I don't think it's more than that. There are more steps to it, that it's really laying aside that old life, that the old self, the things that we desired, that sort of first life, that version 1.0 that we were, and laying that aside the way that we used to act like the Gentiles who know not God and all that, as it said, and try instead to come into all this. This is what is pleasing to the Lord. Does the Lord delight in a thousand rams and 10,000 rivers of oil? No, he's not interested in your burnt offering. He wants a more intense sacrifice on our part. It's not an easier way. It's, it's a harder way in a sense because it's more internal. But the rewards are phenomenal. I don't know how people felt after they offered their animal, but after you go through this, you will have love for the Lord. You'll have love for your neighbor, as the scribe said. That's more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. That's what the Lord wants. You give up our life of self-centeredness, our life of um, materialism and, and, and greed and, and so on, and come into this uh, relationship with the Lord meant by this sacrifice. The Lord, it says uh, in that story, um, about where the sheep that goes astray and the Lord goes and gets it and brings it back. And he says, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just people who need no repentance. How happy is the Lord with, this, with the aroma of this? If we can get this going, get some repentance, allow our heart to be broken, allow something to come out of that, lay aside our old life and have something new come out of that, that rises up as a sweet savor to the Lord. It's, it's intent, intense. What, what did uh, Paul say? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice, right? Whew. You know, we're not talking about, oh, we got over the whole sacrifice thing. No, that, that's still a thing. It's not putting an animal on an altar. It's laying aside your earthly life, your former life, uh, of earthly and selfish preoccupations and allowing the Lord uh, to run your life, allowing the Lord to come in, to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to follow the Lord into righteousness. The Lord has called us to cleanness and holiness. This is the, this is the I, I, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Lord wants to install that mercy and love and kindness and compassion and truth and insight in our hearts. And that is the real sacrifice. So my conclusion for this evening is um, the Lord no longer asks us to sacrifice our animals. Now he is looking for us to make an even bigger sacrifice to give up our old life and embrace his new one. Thank you, friends. Let's close with a prayer. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ,
We thank you for the teaching of your word. It's just surprising sometimes how clear it is that you have really laid it out many, many times that it is not about animal sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of the heart and the mind. And to do that, we have to have some faith, Lord. We need to have faith that what you're going to give us is going to be better than that old life that we had before. Maybe that broken and contrite spirit helps us get ready for that point of like, I no longer want my own life. I want your life to be mine. I want to walk forward in that way of sacrificing myself, of offering myself up to the Lord, myself and my life, my mind, my heart, my actions, my words. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Let's keep on repenting. The Lord will love that sweet aroma.